Welcome back to Establish the Edge. I'm your host, Mike Leone, here with another episode of the off-season projection special with Ben Gretsch. We did take a week off or so. I was out in Denver, Colorado with the ETR guys. I was actually there for a week with my family and then a week uh, just hanging out with the ETR crew, stayed at Levitan's house, had a lot of fun. Uh, beat Glenn in a game of basketball like the most incredible game of basketball I mean so I I gotta cut in here because I got a chance to watch the whole video (laughs) and there was highlights circulated on Twitter and I think when you see highlights of a couple guys in a gym and and somebody just draining some threes you're like yeah there there was obviously some misses in there this was all the highlights The, the the unclipped video was even better like you missed I think two or three threes i think you were like over six from two point <laughs> like when he started to try to come in, get close. but it was like literally heat check after heat check galen kept coming kept coming out further out to try to guard you and you were just waxing everything i was like i couldn't believe it it was the most incredible thing i've ever seen where, where how long have you been hiding this my my crowning athletic achievement a one-on-one basketball game at age 35 uh definitely shot above expectation but yeah it was it was a lot of fun um it was like a seven or eight minute video and it was over. You made all, yeah. I, I, think, I think you, it, it cuts in, you had two points already. So you must've made a two pointer early. You end up winning, you guys are playing a 21 twos and threes and you ended up winning 23 to something. You just scored all seven threes after that and, and did it in like seven minutes of, of real time. It was incredible. Yeah, I think I went seven for 10 the first game. We played two games. Okay, the second game was first. like kind of the same thing, just <laughs> but with some more misses involved. So it was a little bit longer, but essentially the same thing. Um, incredible show incredible thank you ben appreciate it shout out to the etr video team for making me look very good on social even better than i i actually looked um but yeah that was a ton of fun ben we're back to grinding though we're gonna be pumping out basically the rest of six divisions kind of over the next week trying to get them all done by the end of july so you might have something around one a day from the establish the edge podcast feed is also hosted on the establish the run youtube channel and of course, you got to check out Ben's stuff at bengretch.substack.com. He's got Stealing Signals. Also, Ben, why don't you talk a little bit about Stealing Lines, which you have launched? Yeah, another. So bengretch.substack.com is a, a newsletter that's Stealing Signals, fancy football focus. Launched uh, a newsletter in Discord focused uh, betting service. So stealinglines.substack.com with Dalton Cates, who's done some awesome work over at four for four over the last year or so. Uh, he's an absolute killer in the props market. So we're going to be doing some betting stuff over there. So check us out. Awesome. Let's dive right in now to the NFC West, uh, which is a pretty fun division to talk about. Uh, as usual, if you're watching on the YouTube channel, we've got the division odds up from the DraftKings Sportsbook, the Rams, the favorites in the division at plus 125. So we will start with them and kind of go to Rams, the Niners at plus 150, Cardinals plus 400, Seahawks plus 1800. Not a betting show, just gives us some structure, some uh, excuse for the order of teams. And Rams defending Super Bowl champs. Uh, we are Pretty close on play calling with all of these teams. The Rams, we have a little bit of discrepancy in plays, Ron. You have them a bit more up-tempo, about half a play per game more than league average. I'm about half a game lower than league average. Uh, we're what, both... Can we talk through that? Because they were they were at like 68 plays per game in 2020, 63 last year by my numbers, which I think are the same as your numbers. Because I think you gave Yes, them. <laughs> you are correct in that. So... 
for me, I leaned on last year's a little bit heavier with um, the quarterback change. Whenever sure. there's kind of a big change like that, I'm sort of lead, leaning on the prior year a bit more. And uh, also kind of like our default algorithm, which it takes into account that 68 plays per game from a couple years ago. Uh, just kind of kind of spit that out, and it seemed about right and a little bit closer to last year. So, so I, I don't have thing, anything super uh, high level there. That's just sort of how it spit out. Sure. One thing I noticed was that they ran fewer plays than their opponents, even though they were a good team. And I, I mm-hmm. made a note that maybe they were victims of their own efficiency at times. So it's kind of like, for me, I was kind of like a little bit of rebound and play volume with a little bit of a pullback in efficiency. But... Yeah, I think that makes sense. They were yeah sixty two point two last year. Is that what it was? Um, and sixty eight two years ago. So yeah, uh, in a way, it's 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 close to just a weighted average to the last two. Like waiting last year more than sure. two years ago, bringing them closer. So I, I could see them though. I, I think the point you made about them being a good team and running less plays than their opponent is a valid one. We'll talk about Seattle and some of the concerns with regressing them because they're a bad team <laughs> and that's yeah. concerning. Like if you can hold possession or not, because when you're looking at plays run, there's different aspects to it. Like teams that throw more often are slightly more likely to run more plays. It's might not be as correlated as you think the other big ones, obviously pace team like Arizona, which we'll talk about where they just snap the ball quickly and they're playing at an up tempo. And then if you're just dominating possession, you know, Buffalo is a good example of a team that really skyrocketed in plays last year. And some of that was just because they were really good all around defensively, offensively and everything, uh, which you can make a case for the Rams being in a similar spot. For sure. I did have them slightly higher pass rate. And again, I'm leaning on last year. Their pass rate over expectation switched from slightly negative with golf two years ago to a positive two and a half percent last year. So I'm a little bit higher on the pass rate. Um, again, just kind of leaning on the quarterback change and assuming they trust Stafford a little bit more. And this is, you know, an interesting range to look at because if you use Ben's plays and my pass rate, you do start to see, you know, a bit more ceiling in the passing game. I think like Cup's kind of an easy one because where he goes, it's, you know, there, there's not much deviation regardless of these inputs. But for some of the secondary guys, particularly, you know, maybe someone like Allen Robinson or Tyler Higby or Stafford himself, that can make a difference. And Stafford himself, you know, big reason why I like to do these pods with you is you're just catching where I might be off. And I switched my projections a little bit from like an hour ago when I was prepping for this podcast, because initially I was way lower than you on Stafford efficiency. I'm still a little bit lower than you on his. I always come in hot for anyone who didn't hear the first two pods. I've been thinking about that. I'm like, I think we need to think about my projections as like a 60th percentile outcome in years. (laughs) But I do think I did shift mine closer to yours looking at Stafford's efficiency the last few seasons. I mean, the the pass, the pass touchdown rate was way higher with the Rams, which I think makes sense because, you know, you don't have him chucking for a bad team. Like that's going to be a lower pass rate because you're going to throw more passes in lower scoring situations, you know, in a situation like Detroit, and that's going to lower your pass touchdown rate. So I do think there's some, you know, I'm not putting him at the 6.8% he was last year, but I did get him into kind of the lower to mid fives instead of the high fours, uh, which I think makes sense. And similar with yards per attempt, you know, he's been on fire the last three seasons, eight, six, seven, seven, and then eight, one with the Rams last year. So I did up it a little bit 
Uh, it's also hard to know. I mean, someone like Cup, who commands so many targets and just had such an absurdly efficient season, uh, which you'll see with Ben. Ben has a pretty high uh, cup line. It, it's just hard to know, you know, you know what level to regress that. But uh, I actually think Stafford's kind of going in an okay spot in drafts, like quarterback twelve. I think once you get out of the the non-rushing, non-elite pass volume quarterbacks, you can get to someone like him that you'll probably get it done on efficiency. Yeah, I from a draft strategy perspective, I don't love to take the you know sort of the the best of the non elite ceiling guys. So like where he goes, I, went, I don't wind up with him. But I I agree with you; he belongs to there. And if he falls, it, it becomes a good price in in drafts. I think he makes sense. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. It's kind of it's not the ideal way to draft, but his positional ranking is probably about right. Right uh, is is the way to put it. Let's go to the wide receivers. So, or I'm sorry, to the running backs. Because Cam Akers, we have very similar projections on. I have a few more carries than you, uh, which results in a few more points. You've got him at 199 PPR points for the season. I have him at 206. So we're really close on Akers. I feel like I've heard really good Akers arguments in both directions. And our rankings right now on ETR kind of have it middled, where we have him right around ADP. So what, what's your take on Akers, Ben? I guess I'm just a little scared of the Achilles. But yeah, I, I, I feel the same way. I don't have a strong opinion on him. I think it's it's easier for me to see playing the backups, basically. Playing Daryl Henderson. I think Daryl Henderson's a really nice option in drafts because I think there's a possibility that what we saw late last season when Akers came back was that he didn't really have his explosiveness back and – he will be more than a year removed now uh, going into this season from his Achilles tear, but the Achilles can be a tough one to get back from. It can take 18 months, you know? So, yeah, it's, it, it's hard. I did a show with Mayo and he was, cause I was told him I was a little bit concerned about the Achilles too. Cause you know, he comes back and he's inefficient and Mayo is like, how are you using him coming back early as a negative? And, and I, I can see that take too. Like he comes back early Maybe he's not efficient, but then he's got a whole off season. So uh, it's it's a little bit of a dilemma here. But I, the Henderson stuff for me in the Super Bowl, we saw in particular, he was just more dynamic player because he's not telegraphing what they're doing. You know, it's just more chops in the pass game than Acres. Uh, it's just a matter of you know, how much does he cut into the rushing role. I think I actually have Henderson for a few more targets, and you have him at thirty five, you have him at twenty two, but you have him cutting into the rush work a bit more. Uh, you have him at 150, I have him at 110, and I kind of gave some to Kyron Williams. So if I cut out Kyron Williams a little bit more, uh, you know, Henderson, we already kind of like, we would really, really like him in drafts if we shift kind of, if we just basically cut out Kyron Williams and assume this is just a one-two situation and, for the and Rams. And Kyron, it, this might not be in your projections yet, but had the, he's on PUP, right? To start camp, has a little foot thing. I think so. Right so yeah. that's not great for a rookie. Not at all. David Bell on Pup 2. I was really, yeah. I was shedding some tears the other day on that one. But yeah, I think like the pro acres argument is you're getting a guy in round four who was going at the one, two turn two years ago. And maybe it's, you know, kind of the same spot, but with like a better quarterback. Um, the anti acres argument is he's a two down back with shaky health, which is, which is scary. So you can really see it pull in different directions. I'm really interested with that ADP settles. I feel like he's the kind of guy that could get steamed come like, peak draft season um, but where he's going now i mean in the fourth round 
it's not a bad gamble to take if you're going wide receiver heavy earlier. But we're in agreement. Daryl Henderson, probably the better target at cost. Wide receiver, I've got Cup at 162 targets, kind of netting out to 317 PPR points, which is a lot, uh, but not as much as the 389 you have of 184 targets. And again, our projections, you know, we're layering a bit more systemic risk just overall. Generally for teams uh, on, in the ETR base projections is we're over projecting like over hundred percent volume, you know, we're projecting like 107. So, you know, Cooper cups, 30% target share becomes 28% like at the end. And then we have a ceiling case, whereas Ben's kind of just got one set of projections and they skew a little bit more just like optimistically and cutting out some of that systemic risk. So just good for the listener to to know that we operate a little bit differently there. At the end of the day, I think the big question on cup is, you know, do you take him first overall or, you know, or is that CMC? you take Justin Jefferson over him, but he's pretty firmly for me, a top three player in basically any format. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what to do with this projection that I came out with. It's uh, <laughs> the Rams is actually like the, they're the first team that I did overall. Um, and I have the running back target rate pretty low. Cause it's been low the last three years, but I do. I mean, I, I have fewer running back targets than you do overall. I'm, I'm sort of looking at it now and questioning that. I don't think I've gotten that low with the running back target rate on almost any other team. It's one of those things where, like, it's a first team. I wound up with a really huge target number here for Cup. Um, but I do have this note that you either – basically, you either project Cup to back up his historic year, Stafford to regress a ton, or someone else to be a value, whether that's Allen Robinson, Van Jefferson, maybe Higgy, because there's not really a clear other option, right? I mean, I mean, the three I just named are sort of the, the three, but the- – the one we're projecting a little bit of is Odell, like like assuming an yeah. Odell uh, second half of the season return to the Rams, which is not official. So we are somewhat conservative with you know, kind of, I guess the high end targets on the Rams, just assuming that there's going to be somebody else at some point, whether it's Odell or you know whoever it might right. be. I think that makes sense. The the thing for me, and I, I don't have Odell in my projection, and I think he does sign there. I think that's the most likely scenario for sure. Um, the thing for me was just basically like teams were certainly trying to stop Cooper cup through to the super bowl and no one could. Right. And it might be a tougher sledding the next year, but some of that low running back target rate is also sort of related to cups target rate where they do those sprint outs. They run him in motion, like behind the line of scrimmage, come across the formation, get him those short passes that are on a lot of other offenses are basically running back dump offs or running back screens. Um, I mean, he's, he was incredible last year, obviously it's really hard to figure it out, but it's one of those things where I'm like, it's one of those things with projections where I I'm not super confident. Alan Robinson obviously had some skills to climb last year. Tyler Higby has never really backed up that one five game stretch. He had, I'm not a big fan of Van Jefferson. So I'm just like the way that I see this playing out is Cooper cup gets a million targets. Yeah. So do, where do you have him among the top three players? I think I haven't projected higher than anyone. I, I have. Well, not. like, like if not even projection wise, just feel like, like if you oh. were drafting today, FFPC main event, you're in Vegas, you're live, you're number one on the clock. Are you yeah. And I mean, cut? obviously it's going to depend on what other, you know, draft slots I've gotten and other exposures I have and all of those things, but I might go cup one-on-one. I might. Yeah. I have him as the top receiver. I still think you have to take him over Jefferson, but it's it's obviously close and it's tough. And you know, we'll get more into Jefferson when we do the NFC North podcast. 
Uh, I might take CMC one overall, but uh, it's a mix. Um, I don't know. Right now, I think I would take CMC. I definitely want some exposure to CMC and JT too. So it's sort of one of those things where it's like, you know, different formats, how, you know, yeah. PPR, maybe I'm more likely to take JT, right? I mean, there's a, there's various, arg- I, I, I really like the top of drafts. I don't really have a clear fade at the top. So yeah, Alan Robinson, one's been tough. We were for a while, like really behind ADP on Alan Robinson. We've slowly, as the offseason's gone along, kind of, I guess, switched that to an extent or coming up to in line with ADP. And I just, I don't know what to do with Robinson because the, the things we talked about with Odell, like if he comes back, you know, that cuts into his target share. But if he doesn't, there's just like nobody behind Cup. You know, I, I know you're not scared of Van Jefferson and we have the, the Higby. And then I also, I don't know how much do I wait. Um, the just the games in Chicago where he was just egregiously bad. You know, he's getting out targeted by Darnell Mooney. He's super inefficient. Yeah, you know, how much does that matter? Uh, what I did end up doing, and this relates to the Stafford efficiency thing, which I'm glad I kind of saw your numbers and caught. But our projections for the efficiency is kind of two different metrics that we combine. We have one which is essentially a decay model looking at the player's efficiency statistics and regressing them kind of based on sample size. So uh, for Allen Robinson, like his baseline catch rate, just, or I guess his talent catch rate is like 62.7% we have, uh, which doesn't do him any favors because Chicago numbers, but then we have a, like a more dynamic algorithm that takes into account, you know, the team scoring total for the season the quarterback's efficiency, you know, that has him up at 64.2%. So essentially what I ended up doing for a lot of these players who've only had one year with Stafford or in Robinson's case, zero is I lean them a lot closer to that uh, more dynamic algorithm projection and away from the pure kind of baseline projection. I think that makes sense. Robinson's a really tough one because like, you know, there's sort of that idea that he maybe wasn't trying last year, but I think it's kind of caught on. I've sort of been a proponent of that since, you know, basically during the season. Um, he had his worst target sprint run of his career. You can go all the way back to his rookie year. Nothing even close to it. He's always been a 20% plus guy. He was all the way down to 18%. He had the, like, almost on par with his worst yards per target efficiency season as well. Easily his lowest yards per run when you can, you know, combine the target earning and the yards per target. And like when you watched, you got that feeling that that Allen Robinson just wasn't really, you know, in love with playing on mm-hmm. a franchise tag for a Bears team that wasn't going anywhere and was coached by Matt Nagy. I mean, there's even a guy who was doing a uh, that uh, Jordan Schultz guy. Um, I, I don't know where he, where it works, but uh, he's a Twitter account that I remember. I, I've never even heard this pod, but I remember it, it. He tweeted at one point that some of the Bears players were fed up with Matt Nagy and that I remember looking at his bio and it was that he hosted a pod with Alan Robinson. So I was like, I wonder who the players were that, that he got this source <laughs> from. Um, so, I mean, it just seems that Alan Robinson was not really happy last year. It wouldn't be that surprising to me if his skills haven't actually declined as much as it looked like in 2021 and he goes to a new team, a good team coming off a Super Bowl win and looks a lot, you know, a lot more reinvigorated. I, it's not really a bet I love to make. I wanted him to land somewhere where He's a, he's a guy from a profile perspective that I've always felt made sense as sort of a target hog. Hasn't always been super efficient in terms of like yards per target. Obviously, he's played with bad quarterbacks, has high touchdown ability, 
it could work in LA for sure, but I wanted to see him land somewhere where I thought there was more available targets. He is someone though that if Cup gets hurt, yeah, like like you feel good about those targets going his way. You know, yeah, there's some I mean, he's situations. Not old. He's still like what 28. He's he's oh dude, I draft 28 year olds all the time. That's yeah, young for me. That's, that's great. <laughs> So, yeah. yeah, I mean, the the net end of the day for me, I've got Allen Robinson kind of like in the wide receiver, early wide receiver 20s. You know, I came into the offseason probably too low on him. The ETR projections probably too low. I, I don't know. Like, I feel like we have him ranked a little bit optimistically, but it's a really tough, tough guy to figure out. I do think we seem to agree on Higby that he's undervalued by the market. Uh, Higby is going like tight end 20-ish across the market right now uh our projection has him more like tight end 16 17 i'm a pretty big fan of higby there's i don't think there's too much competition at the tight end position i know bryson hopkins shout out to uh the showdown performance he put on for me in the uh in the super bowl he played pretty well but man this looks like it's shaping up pretty good for him the thing that i like about higby ben i guess is i feel like the projection i have on him is like tame and he's still popping as pretty clearly an option. Like That's we have him as like a 13%, yeah. basically like a 13% target share. Like I feel good that that's not overly optimistic. Yeah. It's weird. He, he looks way too good in my tight end rankings too. It's funny in the Scott fishbowl, he went really late in my draft and I still just like couldn't pull the trigger, but I kind of felt like I should, I, I, I had other, I took him. You did like round 13 or something. I, I mean, it was dude, late. I passed him in like the 17th round. That's bad. You, you should have taken. That's <laughs> bad. I'm, I'm shaming you for that. Some other things that I wanted to do, and there are some later tight ends that I actually like their ceilings on more. I ended up getting uh, Ben round seventeen. How much later do you have to? I mean, come on. You should have taken Higby. I ended up getting. I ended up getting Dulcich, man. I see. The issue for me with Higby is I don't think he really has a ceiling. I think he does look like a clean value at his ADP, but I don't think he's going to be like a player I would start. In tight end premium, Scott Fishbowl, where you're starting a bunch of guys, you'd for sure start. I probably would have. I probably would at times. Um, there was okay. other fallers that I took. I want to be clear on. So basically, we both have Higby with what we think is a pretty fair projection, which spits him out above ADP, but Ben's still afraid to draft him. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think it was a mistake. That's why I brought it up. I do think it was a mistake that way. <laughs> let's go to San Francisco. We are really in lockstep with how this offense is going to run from a macro perspective with Trey Lance at the helm. We have them at 62 and a half plays, assuming that they're not, you know, super up tempo and they're going to be pretty rush heavy. You have them at a 55% pass rate. I have 56 and a half percent pass rate. So a little bit higher pass rate. And I think initially I was, or our team had it closer to 55%. We started to move it up a little bit higher, just kind of given how some of the target stuff was spitting out for the San Francisco players. Uh, and again, uh, for people who are listening for the first time, that's called pass plays, that 55%, 56.5%. So scrambles are counted as a called pass play, um, just to get that out there. So it nets out that I have basically you know, half a pass attempt more per game than you, and you have half a rush attempt. But we both have them recording more rush attempts than pass attempts, which is notable. Not a lot of teams do that, maybe two a year. Yes, by about one and a half to two which is pretty big where we are off on. And I've been going back and forth with the projections team for the last kind of half hour is 
the Trey Lance rushing numbers. All right. I get. I, I got. A, I got some some data for you. I'm gonna try to convince you that you need to be higher on it. You ready for? Yeah. This? I went to a lot of the other young QBs. So Lance only has an 86 drop back sample from last year. There's the two elements. Mike just did a great job of explaining. There's design runs, and then there's the scrambles on pass plays. Lance last year had a 14% scramble rate. That's a little high, not crazy. He had a 30% designed run rate, which is insanely high, not sustainable, only 86 dropbacks. So, I mean, I'm not projecting anywhere near 30%. But I went to other young quarterbacks to try to get a feel, right? So Lamar Jackson, his 2019 season, his design run rate was 29%. Only other one, like full season, that's anywhere close to what Lance's 30% last year. It went down to 23.6%. Then last year, he was at 17.7% designed. This trend of dropping off as the quarterbacks get a little bit more, I think, comfortable with the quarterback side of the position, you see it with the other players as well. So Jalen Hurts in his half season as a rookie, 23% designed, then dropped to 17.5%. Kyler's been around like 10 to 13% designed. Uh, every year, Allen, Josh Allen started at 11.5%, has dropped down to 10. Um, Field was only at 7.6% last year. That's sort of the low end of the players I was looking at. They called like no design stuff for him. The Chicago but play calling. When I look at the Lamar and Hurt stuff, you go from these rates well into the 20s, and then they've worked back to 17% on the design side. Then I think about the fact that Lance has actually had some issues throwing the ball. You can go back all the way to his college uh, years. People love to talk about how in the national championship game when he was there at North Dakota State, I think he threw like 12 times in the national championship game and ran like 30 times in the like you know most important game of the season. He was a big-time runner there. And we know that Kyle Shanahan loves the running game and loves to design things and has already called, in a very small sample, a 30% design run rate for Lance. I moved him all the way back to 17%. So there were some of those seasons that were up in the 20s. I have him at 17% design rate. I moved his scramble rate back down to 10%. Most of these rushing quarterbacks are in the 10% range scramble rate. Some of them down in the 7 8% range. Some of them over 10%. Hertz has a 13% scramble rate season. Lamar has a 10 11% seasons. I don't have him really near Lamar's rates on, on the rushing stuff. I have him more like in the Hertz range. Kyler Allen are a little bit even below where I have Lance. So there's, I think, room below. But I would make a case that there's still room for Lance to be higher than where I have him. Where yeah, I put him at 17% design rate. I think as a first-year quarterback, we see this trend of like we don't really trust him as a passer yet. His design stuff could be at like 25%, honestly. And ultimately, when I'm talking to the team, I think we are a little bit low. We're basically at the Allen Kyler Murray type level, which I do think if he's playing is the floor. Now, there's some stuff from a projection standpoint that's tough, which is like just figuring out the rush shares in general between him, Elijah Mitchell. If you think Tyrion Davis Price gets any, like it, it's kind of a, you know, if you think Debo is involved, it kind of becomes a difficult math problem. Yeah. To sort out. Well, and, and then, I'll point out, I have him over 150 rush attempts at these numbers, and I'm saying they might be low. Lamar Jackson is the only player, he's done it twice, that has had 150 rush attempts as a quarterback. I, as far as I went back, Michael Vick never did it. Like, Cam Newton never did it. 150 rush attempts for a quarterback is a ton. I'm projecting it and saying it could be higher. We're talking about, like, legitimately, potentially game-breaking quarterback rushing numbers. Um I will say yes. that Hertz was at 140 rush attempts last year in 15 games. We are kind of trending more 
that direction, right? As a, I do think right around that that ten, he could be right around that ten rush attempt per game number. Yeah. We have a more like seven, which again is a more like Allen Kyler. And the the other aspect though that's difficult for us, I think we're layering and still a little bit of risk that Trey Lance just sucks and you know maybe gets yanked, and that's yeah. where. He has one of the bigger gaps between these are our base projections that we're going through. So we have them at about a 22 to 24% base rush share for the team. But our ceiling case is like a 32% rush share, which is more like Hertz, more like Lamar Jackson. So uh, I do think our base is light though, even with that said, and I'll probably tweak that upwards somewhat. And yeah, the difficult part with Lance right now, Ben, is... We had such a great buy window when people were still like scarred from last year. Uh, I whiffed on him big last year, and that window is kind of gone now. I don't and, know. I think he's still a clear value. I mean, I, I do agree there's risk, especially as long as Jimmy's on the roster. But we're hearing more and more that it sounds like Jimmy is destined to not be on the roster. Which then, what are they going to do? Who are they going to bench him for? And my philosophy is like, yeah, maybe he gets benched. That would suck. But like as a pick, anytime he's in the lineup, he's going to be a, a top, basically top 10 at least, but maybe top five projected quarterback for that week. But I guess and like he, if he's going as like QB eight or nine and you've got Hertz at, let's say QB six, there's not, I mean, there's, you're not, I mean, I don't, I'm not drafting him ahead of Hertz. Like I think Hertz I, is like my clearly around or so be better. Right, I, I, my argument is he should be right behind Hertz. So I think Hertz should be. I think there's more stability in Hertz where he should be like a clear round or two better. I do have Hertz projected higher and we'll still rank him higher. Yeah, I'm with you on yeah. that. But I think Lance comes right behind him personally. Okay. Uh, it's also difficult. Like some of the, the so like underdog is a little different than FFPC and FFC. Now, I don't, I hate to get too hung up on the scoring differences, which is kind of like the overly precise argument, but NFFC and FFPC are a little bit more favorable to the passing numbers because FFPC is one point per 20 passing yards instead of one point per 25. NFFC is that as well, plus six points per passing touchdown, uh, which yeah, even how it many out. points do they give for a thousand rushing yards and 10 rushing touchdowns? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> they give a lot. No, I get, but like, I mean, you got, you got, it's, it, it matters. But, um, it, it does. It does. It does. Um, I'm with you. Okay. But he's, he's fun regardless. I think. It, 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 he was just, I guess it was just, he was a clear slam dunk. And now you have to think about it a little bit more. He'll probably slide up our rankings. I do think we will slide some more base rush share his way. Uh, speaking of rush shares, going to running back, I was, we're very close on Elijah Mitchell, which didn't totally surprise me. I mean, Shanahan completely fell in love with him last year. I feel like, you know, our inputs are even somewhat conservative given what we saw last year. But again, the math problem there with Debo, Lance, and Tyrion Davis-Price, it's tough. I think he's a pretty good buy right now, especially if you're doing like a zero RB type team. If you can get him in round seven, like I'm, I think I'm pretty happy with that, with yeah. Elijah. There's a point the, at which he's gotten to him and, and I think Antonio Gibson's the other one that you see fall so much that you're like, I mean, even me, like, I don't want to take him. And I think the opportunity cost is tough when you're doing, like, some of the wide receiver heavy builds I like to do in redraft. And I'm like, there's, there's you know, kind of a drop-off at wide receiver coming. Still still in this range where I want to hit receiver. But, man, it is tempting for those guys. Yeah. Tyrion Davis-Price, I want to get your thoughts on. I've argued with Silva on this. For me, he's been a guy that I've drafted in specific builds, which is basically – 
I am my team is ready for a moonshot running back pick that has huge upside. I don't care about the floor. I've drafted him much less than the market overall, though, because I'm pretty worried that his median outcome is like almost nothing. And maybe I'm being overly conservative there, but I actually have him at, uh, you know, 98 rush attempts and you have him more at 59. You have Jeff Wilson mixing in a bit more. Yeah, so, I didn't know what to do with that role, so I basically split it between the two. It's one of the one of these situations where, like, I'm probably not going to trust my projections as much as, I mean, I just think it is kind of a toss up between him and Jeff Wilson. Jeff Wilson's a lot cheaper. I I, I kind of love being able to grab Jeff Wilson at the very end of drafts, mm-hmm. more like especially like zero RB type redraft leagues where you don't have to hold them all year. You're not tied into him in best ball, and you might actually need to use him early in the year. If it's like a zero RB roster, you might want to use him early in the year if he's in the RB2 role early. I don't, I mean, I don't know who's going to win that job, but there's probably going to be someone else, right? That's in that role. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's, that's my case for Tyrion Davis price being too expensive right now is basically, I think you need to, needed to break right a couple ways, which is it's not, he's not the clear RB2 right now. So if he is throughout camp, that's an adjustment to make. I think the ceiling's definitely there. I do think like the meeting cases do matter a little bit, especially in best ball. Like if you're spending like a 10th round pick on a guy, like you need, you're going to need some usable weeks, you know, outside of like pure, pure, or, and you need to be pretty sure that if the guy in front goes down, that, you know, he's the next guy up. Um, that's kind of the worst. Which is it's tough. Like, I mean, we don't think much of Trey Sermon at this point, but like he's still on the roster. Yeah, I actually have Sermon with a little bit of work. I probably have too much work because they're on, there's no way they're going to have five backs, but they are a team that has like called up guys and like rotated through a lot of guys over the duration of the season. Obviously, they're not going to have five on the, the opening roster. I, I wonder, I mean, I, I think Sermon's most likely completely dead, but I don't yeah. think you can say he's 100% dead yet. And that's been another reason why I have, I've been a, just a little bit more cautious with TDP than the market. The fifth guy that we and, and then there's Jermichael Hasty who like plays a little bit on passing downs and I mean is Sermon gonna get cut? Like somebody's gotta get cut. Is Hasty gonna someone get for cut? sure has to get cut? I think Hasty and Wilson, I'd be surprised if both of them made it. I feel like yeah. they both kind of fit that pass catching back type type of role. So I, my lean is that only one of those guys on the roster and Wilson it's always kind of like a health thing. I think if he's healthy, it'll be him. Over his, but but if Sermon's that bad, maybe he is the one that gets cut. Because I mean, they did not want to use him last year in almost any circumstance. They had like one game where they just absolutely had to use him. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. I didn't, I hadn't really thought through this until like right now as we're talking about it. But Sermon getting cut does actually seem pretty live. I do have more rush attempts for Debo Samuel, which also kind of like adds to this problem, and maybe. Um, part of the reason why I'm low on Lance, just really not entirely sure what to do with that role. I have 49 rush attempts for Debo Samuel. You'll have him closer to 30. I'm trying to see what the exact number netted out last year. Well, it's so uh, funny if you look at 59 log, last year, 59 last year. But when you look at his game log, it's like the first half of the year, it's like four in eight games or something. Like it was really a, a very small amount. It's fewer than I remembered. I want to, I mean, I want to get that right and not just lie on the, on the air, but he went from his first, let's see, it's not four, it's, but it's six. It's six across his first uh, eight games. Only had six carries. And then 
he became a five carry game guy the next week, eight carries, six carries, eight, six, five, seven, eight, going to the playoffs. He's carrying 10 times a game. So you definitely like you end up with 59, you end up with 27 carries in the three playoff games, which is like an even higher rate than for the season. But just with the talk of this off season and the fact that he was sort of upset for a period and, and took San Fran off his socials and stuff. And then they drafted Tyrion Davis price. I was reading that as if like they, they drafted this running back and then right after the draft, he put the, the Niners back on his social medias and stuff. So I was reading that as if they were like, Hey, this is the guy that's going to run those, those plays and you don't have to run them anymore. <laughs> and like, made Yeah. Run. It's, I mean, I think it's a pretty wide range. I definitely don't think we're going to see what we saw last year, but I, I do think, you know, two to three a game, which is kind of the range we have. I'm you're at two a game. I'm at three a game. Um, but also like what if someone gets if someone gets hurt do they like rely on that even though they don't want to going into the season um but perhaps a more interesting conversation is um the targets again you 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 run a little more hot than me to begin with but you have 20 more targets for Debo than me I'm somewhat concerned about this this offense in general is really tough because the entire offense is basically this problem of they could score a ton of points be super efficient, which gives almost everyone like really big individual upside. But then it's a really tough math problem figuring out the volume. And there's going to be some guys that could disappoint in a huge way. And we saw this last year. Debo goes nuts. Brandon Ayuk is like, you know, a lead killer. And I think it's a similar spot this year, not with those guys specifically, but just in general, like between Kittle, Debo, the backs someone's probably going to go nuts and someone's going to tank and it's hard to figure out where to put those prices. But I do think the Debo stuff, a lot of people are saying his targets dropped because he started playing the running back role more. If I recall correctly, the routes didn't actually drop off a ton. I think it was more the Ayuk presence. So looking back at last year, weeks one through seven, when Ayuk had sort of this weird role, he played 66% of snaps Debo's target share was 33.6%. Weeks 8 through 21, you know, counting the playoff weeks, Ayuk played 92.1% of snaps and Debo's average target share was 20.1%. So basically 20%. And I think we need to both factor in that Debo has the ability to earn a 30 plus target share in the right circumstance, but also factor in I think the base default of how this team operates heading into the year is like Ayuk and Kittle are playing their full roles. And that is impacting Debo's target share more so than kind of the rush stuff, which to me was a little bit of a red herring. I think uh, everything you said makes a lot of sense from uh, any type of reasonable projection perspective. I'll just be completely honest. I just thumbed the scale on Debo and was like, I, I don't want my projection to be too low on a guy that I think is this good at football. If you yeah, look at it from at, at from things that that are like uh, perspectives of, of like his percent share of the touchdowns. Like I have him way down, but I have his touchdown rates on a per touch basis way higher than I would, you know, both as a receiver and a and a rusher than I would probably otherwise project. And I have him for quite a few more TDs than you. But it's one of those things where I'm like, yeah, this team projects for a certain amount of points. Like you said, the market has them as a as a high scoring team. I think they're in the top 10 in expected points when you look at, you know, like futures lines and everything. And um, I don't know where else I'm going to necessarily go with all those touchdowns. Like I, I think Debo is the guy that you would expect to score 20% of their TDs last year. He scored 30%. I have met 21% and I, but then the way that I used to always do it was just like per target and per rush attempt. 
when I look yeah. at it from that perspective, I'm like, yeah, I still have him really, really high. I've regressed him, but I haven't regressed him as much as I normally probably would because touchdowns are pretty t- tough to predict. I don't know if this is right. It's Again, it's me sort of thumbing the scale a little bit and saying, I don't want to be well, too the, low the, on Debo, you know? The, the guy who's been, you know, cleared two yards per out run all three of his seasons. Yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of why we ran into him last year, you know, and, yeah. and had him as a good value, you know, over the two yards per hour. So I definitely think that that makes sense. I think around the two, three turn, he's a really good pick. He's jumped around a lot. Like coming into the year, I thought he'd be going at the one, two turn and just be pretty overdrafted. And now it, there's been kind of spots where I've drafted him like a few drafts in a row. And then other times where he's gone in a spot where I haven't really considered him. Um and it's yeah, weird. I, Someone that falls like feels like more of a full PPR guy. I actually have like a meaningful gap in his favor for half PPR just because of the efficiency stuff that you hit on. And then kind of the math problem with the play calling where I just, I mean, let's, let's split the difference between our two target projections, 104 and 122. That's not a lot of targets for a guy in full PPR. That's going to go, you know, in round two. Yeah. You so I think you hit on all the concerns with San Fran's offense. Well, I think to like really the only sort of I guess like potentially actionable addition I could add is it's interesting to look down at Juwan Jennings and Danny Gray, which you have projected for 55 and 28 targets. I have for 29 and 15. So I have them combined for like 45 targets. You have them combined for more like 80 plus, and that's probably the the correct thing because we have a similar thing as what we're describing on Debo with Kittle where I'm 16 targets higher. The only thing I would mm-hmm. say is if you step back and you say because we think this is a really run heavy team, we're projecting a lot of actually design runs. We're also projecting trailings to scramble a lot. I'm I think you can make a case that having a really concentrated target tree is more likely, right? Because he's going to potentially only have first reads, second reads, and then run. And we yeah. have seen that some in Lamar's history. We saw some teams that were. Mark Andrews, Marquise Brown, both getting up around 100 targets and basically no one else getting over like 50, right? And so maybe based on Lance and the way the offense is going to run, I could make a case that I'm probably still too light on the ancillary pieces. I'm always a little more concentrated and, and more you know excited with my projections, but um, that this could be a really concentrated target room, not just like as a narrative, but actually from a from a football perspective, that that's the way that they might design things for Lance. One, two reads, and it's going to be Debo, Ayuk, or Kittle that are those reads for the most part, and then take off and run if it's not there. Yeah, and I think I think that's a very good point, but I do think you needed to come up from last year when those guys were at like 60 to 63%, depending on how you want to do the math, like based on per game played or total team targets. And then like that's with Ayuk kind of being benched for the first part of the season. These schmucks just play on this team, but maybe they don't, to your point, this year. You yeah. know, they just had I mean you're getting like you, you like like Sherfield, Jennings, Sanu last year. Like I have their combined target just, rate of those three at sixty-eight percent. That's probably hot, is what you're saying. It was like sixty-two last year. It was sixty-two and a half percent, and that was in the, it was sixty percent if you just look at total team targets. And their total targets. If you strip out like the games the guys missed, it's like sixty-two and a half percent. Which, like, truth lies somewhere in the middle because it's unlikely all three of them are playing all those games. But those targets could shift. So, but you're um, six, that's you've six, got a five. You basically got like a six six point increase from yeah. last year, which like that could happen, but it's it's on the it's high aggressive. end. It's definitely yeah. Not. 
Um, and then Kittle, man, Kittle's tough too. It's as you said, it's the exact same dynamic. Like, love the talent. Dude could go absolutely nuclear. It's just kind of like, at what point do I want to, you know, make the bet? Uh, and I think, right, he's been a guy right now where we have him ranked really close to his ADP, but I seem to in drafts like him like a little bit better than ADP. I seem to break the ties with Kittle when I get close. I mean, he's uh, the which, last like potential ceiling, like real ceiling tight end. And yeah. I don't even necessarily love him for. I'm not even like drafting a ton of Debo. This is just sort of how my projections came out. I'm pretty concerned about Debo in the tier of receivers he's in. I've taken some. I'm pretty concerned about Kittle. Kittle's harder because in the in the tier he's in, usually Waller's off the board. You're sort of like, okay, well, it's Kittle or it's late round tight end for me a lot of times because I think that tight end six to tight end 10 range has pretty historically pretty poor hit rates and they're not and- really exciting names this year. And when we get into the AFC West, I think Denver's a similar team where I can make really good ceiling cases for so many guys, but like we also know a bunch of them are going to like fail and it, it becomes an interesting dynamic for how do you actually rank that? How do you actually you know, develop that into a draft plan? Like where are you willing, where's the cutoff between the ceiling is just worth it and it's not. And it's, it's a tough problem. The, like it's a complex game. I don't think there's a known solution to some of these spots. Okay, let's go to Arizona. We have them both at 65 and a half plays per game and a 60.5% pass rate. Just absolutely absurd uh, consistency for us here in this, this team projection. Yeah. It's pretty funny. And that's what happens when you get a team that you know has an offensive identity. They've had it for a few years. They're kind of like Dallas where they're going to be up tempo, but not necessarily throw a whole ton. They'll throw even a little bit less than Dallas does, I think. But uh, we can be confident that they're going to run an above average amount of plays. Well, they have every year. And the, the the aspect that I added in this year was looking at the time on the play clock when the ball snapped. And they were not quite as fast last year, but they're still above average last year. And they were super fast two years ago. The, the thing I wanted to say about how close we were, and it is, it's uncanny. We're like literally have the same team volume projections. Um, and even when we're off, we're off by like a play a game. Usually on these, we've been really close on a lot of them. I mean, it does speak to, I think our sort of analytical styles and our willingness to regress and, and looking at the past data and where, where we're going to land the same time. I did think it was kind of interesting. One of the most useful pieces of like back testing analysis I've ever done was a couple years ago at CBS. I looked back at my team volume, team passes, team run projections from the year before. And about half the league, I was off by quite a bit. I can't remember the exact numbers. I know there were some teams mm-hmm. where I was off by like 100 plays. And some of them were injury-related. I remember that year was the year that Ben Roethlisberger got hurt, was projecting the Steelers to throw a ton. They threw way less because he got injured right away. And then the next year, they came back and they threw a ton. And the year before, they had thrown a ton. And so probably the projection was fine. You couldn't project the, the injury necessarily. But anyway, there are these cases where we miss by a lot. I think this is an interesting note in terms of like sort of the group think of projections that we talk about sometimes where we are so close that it's almost scary and you understand why projections have the pull they do because everyone's going through their own process. But on stuff like this, we like there you have to be taking like a pretty big stand to get far off of these numbers. I think you're right. Yeah, I'm pretty confident in it at the same time. Got to think about the chaos of NFL seasons, too. Yeah. And to get, I'm going to give ourselves some credit here. Last year with Baltimore, I think anyone looking at our projections from the outside in would have been like, 
you know, they've run this amount this year and, and, and every year they run this amount. Why, why don't you just have them at that rush rate? And there's some regression that you need to bake in there. Like yeah. you asked the NFL season. And then of course we didn't expect Baltimore to do what they did, but because we were more willing to factor in that range of outcomes, you know, we were more likely to draft Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews last year. And then this year we'll probably have Baltimore perhaps at a, a lower pass rate than the market has just kind of understanding the pull that these have. But with Arizona, the good thing with them is they're, they're fast. Like they're kind of like objectively fast and their pass rates pretty neutral. So it's, I think it's hard to screw them up a little bit too much, but if they're fast and they decide to throw more frequently, like that could be pretty, pretty exciting. And that's where you could see, you know, some higher end outcomes looking at our Kyler projections, we're pretty close. You're a little higher on the rush stuff, not by a ton. No. Uh, I did listen to a clip that Kevin Cole tweeted out on Kyler that you know had me excited for him, where he basically talked about last year his EPA per drop back didn't show improvement, but if you broke it down, a lot of that was because he didn't scramble as much and he also was under pressure more. But like his pure passing numbers were a lot better, and it did remind me a little bit of. You know, Josh Allen had a stretch where he, you know, he had the one year where he, he really could Josh Allen was more extreme and a worse prospect in a worse spot, but he had the year where he just ran a ton and just had an absurd rushing EPA uh, on dropbacks. And then the next year he was kind of like, felt like he was boxed in a little bit, but he made like these small improvements. And then the, the year after that it sort of put it all together. So I think there's, you know, a chance that Kyler could just have a, a nuclear type season if all breaks right for him. And he was really good before the injury last year. Like, I mean, I think that's splits can be misleading, but it's a, a really important point about Kyler. I mean, especially as a passer, but he was incredibly, he was like in the MVP discussion and then he got hurt and came back. He wasn't necessarily the same player down the stretch, but early on, like he was carrying AJ green to efficient, the high efficiency. I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, all the receivers on the team is sort of the point that I would make were, were performing at a really high level. His passing efficiency was through the roof. For, for a stretch i think yeah i have heard a couple people mention i don't know the validity of this like just kind of worried that he's dropped off particularly rushing the football like two straight seasons in the second half both i think because he was dinged up the second half of the season i think that stuff's kind of noisy i do think with the rushing it's unclear how many pure rushing attempts he has but i think he's always going to be at like a floor of like 400 rush yards with pretty high rushing td upside yeah. So um, that's really good. I mean, to, to take that as a, like, if you're going to be 405 on the ground as a floor, like that's, that's really good. Understanding that that could be 710 in, in a certain outcome. Yeah. Completely agree. Going Very to running high. back. I'm a little more conservative on James Connors role. Have him for some less rush attempts, less targets in the passing game, have that shifted a little bit more to Daryl Williams, particularly in the target department. Connor's tough. Um, he's in this bucket of guys that, you know, I have a tough time marrying the, the micro positives with the macro. Do I want to take this kind of running back? Because I mean, he just went nuts last year. And it was funny, the first couple of weeks, I thought he was kind of a drop. I was like, oh, this is just a goal line back who's not really getting goal line touches. And then, then he went on a streak where he was just getting goal line touchdowns left and right. And then obviously, once Edmonds went down, we saw the full workhorse role for James Conner. So he's been a struggle 
for me as um, basically what, you know, what do I do with James Conner in round three? Um, I, I haven't been too sure. Generally, I've been leaning a little bit away from him uh, in round three in favor of like, let's say Jalen Waddle or perhaps even his teammate Marquise Brown, depending on, you know, the format and whatnot. But how do you feel about Connor? Yeah, I would say if you're inclined to take, I mean, it's always tough for me because I'm not like super inclined to take running backs in the third round right. or aging. But if you are, like, I think his workload looks incredible. Um, I think you have to look at the way they handle the offseason, letting a productive back and Chase Edmonds walk so that they could sign Connor and bring him back. Sort of based on, you know, Edmonds getting hurt last year and Connor being so good when he got the full work down the stretch. I think you kind of have to take that whole chain of events in terms of what Arizona is telling us with their moves as a pretty huge positive for Connor. They don't really add a huge secondary back. They bring in Daryl Williams. Daryl Williams is probably just a guy. He's been okay at times. Um, I really like, you know, Benjamin. I always want to project him too high. I, you know, I've taken him at the ends of some drafts the last couple of years and it's not panned out at all. He is starting to generate a little buzz, which I'm getting pretty excited about. And he's the the other back that I'd be interested in this offense in, in snagging late. Cause I do think he still has some real, real three down upside. Cause he had a, a strong profile that, that indicated that coming out of college. But like, again, Connor, I, I don't, like see a lot of holes in his profile when you sit there and project it out. It looks like a guy who has, you know, a ton of work. He comes out way higher than I'm comfortable with in my projections. Yeah. And I guess that's, that's essentially the same for me. Like with, again, just, I generally a more conservative starting point, but it's the same feeling. It's like, I get why he projects really well. I don't feel great about it. So I'll likely I'll take him at a little discount, but Generally, there's tiebreakers that shift me away from James Conner, even kind of like, you know, right around where we have him ranked. I just shift a little bit elsewhere. Um, we have Marquise Brown ranked really high. It's hard to tell if like we're chasing the hype here a little bit or not. But Marquise Brown had just a phenomenal year last year. His targets per route run stuff was great. And now he goes to Arizona without DeAndre Hopkins for six games. Can we talk Hashtag, about how we have the exact same amount of targets on Hopkins, even though he's missing six games? Like I, I did. Yeah, that's uh, pretty funny. I did a twenty-two percent target share times eleven games expected, and came into the target share I came into, and we're, I mean, we're identical. I think that's basically. The, I mean, that's. I think that's exactly like the same thing we did, yeah. which is like a really close, and then just kind of scaled it, um, which came out to like 14 to 15% over the course of the entire season. Uh, but yeah, Hollywood looks great. I mean, oh, also, I don't know if this line's still out there. If you play on prize picks, they had an egregious Hollywood Brown receptions total of like, it was in the 90s, which is just an auto slam dunk on the under. Yeah. Uh, so if it's out there, take that. As much as I like Hollywood Brown, you can't, you can't bet him over 90 catches. He's not um, a high volume underneath type of target necessarily. I mean, they, they got other dudes for, for those targets. They have Connor, they have Rondell Moore, they have Zach Gertz. Like, yeah, that's an easy. Yeah. Play. He's a guy uh, that so sometimes we struggle with these guys who shift teams where the dynamic and the way they're going to be used might be a little bit different. And initially I think we had undervalued him when he, you know, the trade first happened. But I do expect maybe a little bit of trade off in terms of uh, less, 
you know, target share, at least over the course of the whole season when Newt comes back and everything with a bit more higher efficiency, particularly his yards per catch, I think goes up. Like I've got his baseline at 11.8, kind of just based on a decay of his past statistics. And then if I'm looking at kind of our pure algorithm, you know, the more dynamic algorithm, that's got him at 13.1. So we just went with that number at 13.1. Also his ceiling case, we boosted him a decent bit. So uh, he is a guy that we, we have, I guess, a, a wider gap between his ceiling case and his base case than the average wide receiver. That was Brown you're talking about? Yeah. So how are you playing the Brown projection, the Rondell Moore projection? The I think the other big one is Trey McBride in terms of Hopkins being out for six games. Like I think there's a lot of ways that this season can then go, can branch off for mm-hmm. Arizona. If Rondell Moore has a really good first six games, I think that really solidifies probably his role when Hopkins is back. Probably means that A.J. Green kind of just goes away and it's Brown and Hopkins and Rondell Moore in a three-receiver set. That's sort of how I projected it. I think the sim- I, like a similar outcome could be said about Trey McBride. They could run more two tight end stuff early and he could be good enough early and that could really cut into Ertz. Ertz is the one in this passing game whose ADP I don't like the most. Like I have the biggest issue with because they took a tight end higher than any team in the draft this year, and people are acting like they kind of didn't. Uh, yeah. Just, yeah, I'm curious how I, you plan through all that. I have uh, in my notes for this podcast jokes about Leone having more targets for A.J. Green. <laughs> Did you add Zach Ertz? Because you also have more for Zach Ertz. <laughs> but the thing is, that, dude, we, are inc- we are pretty low on Zach Ertz relative to the market with this projection, which is 86 targets. Zach Ertz... Um, I want to make a point about Kyler at the end of this, but Zach Ertz is really difficult to project because he's old, fails the age model, was dreadful his last couple years in Philly. Also, another big uh, mark against Zach Ertz, Ben, is that he just destroyed our final hopes in the FFPC playoff challenge, and we may never forgive him for that by far his worst game as a cardinal yeah but I mean, I'm, I'm definitely he, biased <laughs> his his numbers though it's like his yards per target goes from 4.7 last year with philly 6.1 this year with this pet i'm sorry 4.7 two years ago with philly this past season 6.1 with philly to 7.1 with arizona he started to be kind of more Ertzian in terms of like this, this super high catch rate, like not super explosive, but his yards per catch is like not far off from his career average. You know, it's kind of, it's just a little bit lower and he's you know, back to catching balls at a high volume. So I don't want to totally, I feel the way you do, which is that people are overrating Ertz and McBride is actually pretty interesting and a draft target in certain spots um, in best ball as a that tight a end three, catch, if I, I need some upside, I thought you were about to be really excited about her. So good. Catch. No, I just, I don't think we can completely kill him. I guess is, is yeah, my thing. That's like, that's um, and then bring it back. But to why Tyler, is he going though? tight end nine? Like I, I could see not completely killing a 36 or 37 year old tight end. If he was going like tight end 13, like you're just talking about like Higby. Like, I don't think Ertz is yeah. that different than Higby and people are pushing Higby all the way down to like tight end 20. You know, I think Higby yeah. actually comes out higher in my projections that, I gotta say though, the 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 irony here is we we did move Ertz like a decent bit closer to ADP. Um, we, I think we have like the tight end positionally we have him kind of around tight end ten now. Uh, but I think that's 
I think the tight end 10 is overvalued. Like I just much rather wait and take the tight ends. Yes. Like relative to overall ADP, we have tight ends 11 through 15 as way better values than than Zach Ertz, even though we're in line positionally. I just would not want to take him at that point, but I get why he's there. Part of the reason I got him there though, is I was looking, you know, I talk about our Stafford efficiency differential. We did have a pretty big differential in Kyler's completion rate, which is somewhat interesting to talk about. Part of that is Ertz is baseline catch rate. Again, based on like decay statistics, we have it 62%, but but his alley goes up to 67%. We don't usually get guys with that wide of a gap. He was 69 last year. So I did manually raise that a little bit, but you do go with Kyler. You lose DeAndre Hopkins for, for six games. You also have DeAndre Hopkins' catch rate fell pretty significantly last year. Christian Kirk had a 74% catch rate last year. He's out. Hollywood comes in. He had a 62% catch rate with Lamar. We're expecting a little bit higher with Kyler. but um, And then you look at Rondell Moore, whose catch rate just like has to come down because if he has an expanded role, the ADOT's going to be higher. Um, so I don't know if any of this matters, but I just found it interesting in trying yeah. to pin down Kyler's completion percentage. So he, Kyler broadly was at 70% completion completions last year total. really high last year really yeah. really high that's not that's like record-breaking drew Brees is the first guy to ever have a 70 percent completion season completion percentages are rising league-wide um and we're, we're seeing more guys flirt with 70 percent, but it's it's incredibly high he was 67 percent the year before 64 percent as a rookie i have him at 68.7 percent. i would say that's definitely high i'm trying to look through my numbers Great. i still have sure. more pretty high i have like all the tight ends pretty high with the lower ADOT stuff. I have Hopkins. All right, we got to talk high. about Rondell here. Yeah. Not to cut you off, but no, I, I'm a Rondell Moore stand, but I think this 95 targets is is just is jumping the shark a little bit here. Well, I think he's going to get. I've more got 78. Work. He's going to get more work early in the in the year. I think he already so he had a 24 percent targets per run last year. A big part of that was his routes were down, and a lot of those targets were manufactured targets. Close to the line of scrimmage, more. I mean, his a dot was like six yards lower than the next closest guy. Like, it, so, yeah. so I guess, yeah. like, it as just, soon as he starts running more more routes, I would not expect him to be a twenty four percent target per run guy. At the same time, they already showed that they're willing to use him in that way. So, if you're projecting him to then gain some downfield work, I, I mean, I think he's good as well. So, I'm projecting him to actually be able to earn some targets down the field, even though he's undersized. I understand that he's not big. Uh, he's actually the smallest person at, that was ever born. Uh, I need to acknowledge that because most people seem to believe that. But he's he's a tank. We know that as well. He can squat like 600 pounds. But anyway, uh, with Hopkins out early, I think he's going to have that closer to the line of scrimmage stuff. I also have a note here. I have some of Edmonds' work shifting to him, right? Because I, I do think that's part of their answer. You bring in Daryl Williams. He's a James Conner type back. You know Benjamin definitely could play more. But they use Chase Edmonds on a lot of stuff around the line of scrimmage that I just feel like that's more expanded Rondell Moore work probably. I think his stuff around the line of scrimmage, which is just free targets basically, is pretty locked in and will be in the first six weeks. And then if he's good, that that can basically expand into the season even you know after week seven when Hopkins is back. That's sort of how I'm projecting. Yeah. I have Rondell Moore as a small buy. So – if you're buying Ben's optimism there, he, he he goes from a small buy to a big buy. So I think 
think he's good. And if, and I put in the jokes about AJ Green. I do have AJ Green with some more targets, which is kind of why we're off on Rondell Moore, just because. Well, and it's a big question of who's going to play in three wide receiver sets when Hopkins is back. You know, like if yeah. they move Brown into the slot and they stick with Hopkins and AJ Green on the outside, which would be closer to what they were doing to Rondell Moore last year and keeping him in this rotational fourth receiver role, then AJ Green's going to be closer to your numbers and, and Rondell Moore's going to be closer to your numbers. I'm sort of expecting that Rondell Moore can do enough early in the year and that they'll kind of figure out that part of their late season struggles last year is they were running out Antoine Wesley and, and AJ Green as their outside receivers and keeping Rondell Moore in a rotational role mm-hmm. because he's an actual explosive player. And, and that they'll wind up with a three-wide receiver set of Brown, Hopkins, and Moore. However they align them, they'll move them around the formations. That's a pretty exciting three-wide receiver set. So some of it is a hope and a prayer that they do what I think they should do. Yeah, the other uh, decent difference that we have is, like, the Ertz specifically aside, our Ertz to McBride ratio is actually really close. I just have a lot more tight end targets uh, is what I'm noticing. Yeah, what's your... I have them higher than they were at last year. You just think they're going to do more two times stuff with like McBride? post Ertz because, like, if we look at Ertz's, what is it, week seven on? It's not. It's not post that. That's a good call. Week Their tight end seven rate was a lot higher on, after they acquired Ertz. You're saying, dude, dude. So Ertz, like again, Ertz had a 19.2 percent average target share if you just average the individual weeks. From when yeah. he was with Arizona. I have like, their team tight end share lower than that. So, I, yeah, I'm looking at the yeah. whole season. This is a great point. And that's that's where the market loves Ertz because it's like, and especially in full PPR, I think that's where that's coming from is. So the other guy that's weird is Max Williams. is actually Like, he's never played a lot, but he's actually, like, been good in a rotational role. And they've used, like, they used to use Dan Arnold in a rotational vertical role, and they used Williams last year. He had some, like... Very, very small sample. But he yeah, Max some, Williams is dead. I don't think you should draft him, but I'm saying they, they already had him. They went out and, and uh, drafted Trey McBride. Do they traded for Zach Ertz and drafted Trey McBride. Max Williams is Why do they a non-factor. Tight ends? I don't understand. Yeah, no, I don't think I don't think Max Williams is matters. I think he's uh, a he's bad news for Ertz, is what I'm saying. Like they I don't th- I don't think he's bad news. I think he's interesting if someone gets hurt. I, and I know you're not saying to draft him, but I don't think he has any effect on Zach Ertz. Trey McBride, yes. Max Williams, no. He's not. I'm Dude, just saying the combination of Trey McBride and Max Ertz. Uh, okay. So Trey McBride has is, X effect on Zach Ertz. Trey McBride <laughs> plus Max Williams has X plus point zero 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 one effect on Zach Ertz. <laughs> Fair. Um, Fair. Let's go to Seattle. So talking about teams that are difficult to project – because we want to regress them, understanding the huge volatility in plays. Seattle is one of them. So last year, Seattle had an egregious amount of plays per game. It was impossible to project them on a weekly basis for DFS. I remember they had 56 plays per game, Ben, which was, I think, at least a full three plays per game lower than anyone else. But it's not like they were super slow the year before. They were right around league average the year before. The other ironic part to this, looking at the play clock stuff, they were actually a little bit faster paced this past year than they were two years ago. They just were you know, real boring with the play calling. And they they had a horrible I, stretch of, of three and out stuff. Like yes. Year. And it's like if you can't even get a first down, your play volume is really bad. You're just punting immediately of a three play possession. 
So and their defense couldn't keep anyone off the field. So yeah, I mean that that is like it, 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 like I think they're gonna suck, but that has to regress just because it's like it was so egregiously low as you're emphasizing. I will. I yeah. also I have to say this. I just moved a half percentage point of target share back to Zacharis for backs. <laughs> <laughs> um, our default algo puts Seattle at like sixty two plays per game because natural regression and it's also picking up on they they were also super slow in plays per game two years ago i've manually put it at 60 which to me is like a four play increase per game last year and still like a full play less than anyone else i have projected the reason why i'm not going with the algo is the quarterback switch and just like everything we've heard for how you know the coaching staff wants to run this offense so i kind of feel like yeah we get natural regression but it's going to be hard for them to stay on the field if they're running a lot and they have bad quarterback play. But it's interesting. I mean, this is this was sort of the point I was making with Arizona too, and it, maybe it fits more with Seattle. Thinking about it before the show, looking through our numbers and kind of comparing them, we both expect them to run a, a few more plays or a little bit more uh, play volume this year, certainly be a little bit more pass-heavy um, than the like, extreme numbers in the past that have been – well, not always, but at times a very run heavy. Um, but we end up still really close. And so, like, this is this is a better example. The Arizona example wasn't a good one. Could we be wrong on this? Could they be a little bit closer to league average? I don't – I mean, they're going to be bad. Bad teams run fewer plays than, than winning teams tend to run. If they're able to run the ball efficiently, they could be, I think. Yeah. Like, I think that's the question. Like, are they able to actually run efficiently? And they could be because we'll talk. They have a couple of, you know, regardless of how you feel about whether or not running backs matter, they have two guys that are likely going Good. to be above average at rushing the football. Yeah. Um, and even with me having lower play volume, I do have them split like a little run heavier. I just think Pete's such a boomer, but we'll see. The quarterback stuff, um, like Gino, I think in like two quarterback leagues, you could draft. It seems like he's got the leg up right now and he has some rushing upside that Drew Locke doesn't have too much. I don't want to get too nitty into that. Like just any quick takes on Gino and Locke. I just think, I, I, I think Gino's a much better, like, I think we kind of know what Locke is. Gino's had enough time kind of bouncing around the league that sometimes we see these type of veteran quarterbacks get another shot and have like sort of learned and matured. He's probably, a better player now than he was, you know, straight out of college. Right. So, or there's a possibility, I think, and he was all right last year. So I think Gino provides more upside to the offense. If you've been reading the Monday kind of like ADP market shifts that we've been doing on establish the run, we have a free article up and Adam Levitan does a podcast on it as well. And the establish the run podcast feed Rashad Penny, like some news out of Seattle, is like really moving up while Kenneth Walker is moving down. I have you have him split basically 50 50 with a lean to Kenneth Walker. We have Walker with a pretty decent edge. Uh, maybe we're too aggressive. I just like, I know this is a back that in Dynasty, like we were dogging Walker quite a bit because I think he was like way overdrafted in Dynasty rookie drafts, but. Like as a pure rusher, he's like a really good prospect from everything I've heard. You know, I'm not a prospect. You're more of a prospect guy than me. And, you know, Penny, it's tough though, because Penny was like absurd in rush yards over expectation last year. It's not like Penny's bad, but I do just kind of lean to the younger guy that they spent capital on. And Penny, 
I generally dismiss injury stuff, but God, it just feels like yeah, every year it's, it's something. Yeah, yeah, he feels. But you're, you're, I think you, you nailed all that. Walker looks like a really good running back. This team is gonna like to run. Um, he didn't have as much receiving in his profile. Penny was an incredibly efficient running back last year in terms of the rushing. Any any type of stat you want to look at, yards after contact, or or you know yards created, or yards after what's blocked. There's a lot of ways to look at it, but Penny looked really, really good on a lot of that type of stuff. Um, they're going to have two good backs. I, the split is is tough. I do think you can kind of – I mean, I'm with you. With the way that you have your projections in terms of how I play it, I think you definitely want to lean towards the younger back, especially in the case of – in this case where Penny's had, you know, continual injury issues. We're not going to say anyone's injury prone, but continual injury issues. Um, and Walker might also just be really good. So I'm definitely leaning more towards towards Walker. I do think Penny is interesting in with these latest conversation, you know, talks that he's going to be sort of the lead. You know, the, the stuff about is that does that mean anything? Like, like, no. like when I was talking to like Levitan saying it would be news if it was the other way around, but this is sort of the default. Like, the, yeah, that's a good. Way everyone thinks it's going to be the incumbent, right? We hear that every year. You yeah. Know. But Penny like was really Jones. good down the stretch. So I mean, he was he was super good. And they kind of brought him along slowly way back when. I mean, maybe he was injured that first year, but like, I think a lot of people thought Penny was going to play over Carson his first year, and then they kind of brought him along slowly behind Carson. I think there is Carroll is a boomer, dude. Like he might actually just have the veteran deference for the That's early true. part of the season. But Penny could get hurt. Walker could just steal work because he's like the young, explosive, exciting player. It's and tough. it's also the other tough part too is I think individually I can see the upside case for both, which is talented rushers on a team that wants to rush the football and that could break right. The flip side for both of those is neither's really a pass catcher and they're playing on a team that could suck. And generally yeah. we don't want that running back. So we've been kind of behind ADP a little bit on both. I've reached a little on Walker just because. I don't know. Just call it a pure talent bet. I've made like kind of some tie breaks in his favor. And the way we draft, it's kind of like if you've gone zero RB and there's an eighth round Kenneth Walker, it's like it feels like a fun bet to make <laughs> like just intrinsically. Um, I think the best note there was that they're going to be so much worse. Like you were talking about, I'm a little higher on the pass rate. I still, I did a like a really quick regression between Vegas win totals and expected pass rate and so that I could use sort of like a pass rate over expected number to then get to my pass rate mm -hmm. i have them expected to throw quite still more than two percentage points higher than where i wound up and i'm still sort of a little pass heavier than you um because their vegas win total is now supposed to be 5.5 or you know they're, they're supposed to win five or six games based on vegas and that would mean a lot of negative scripts and those things that's sort of the point you just brought up where like these are probably early down backs that are splitting on a team that is going to run in the first half because that's just what they're going to do. They're going to try to keep games close and slow the game down. But uh, they might be in you know some games where they're down two touchdowns and their expected pass rate is 70% plus. And how, how much of a boomer do you think Pete is? Is he going to run the ball in the face of a 20-point deficit in the fourth quarter? Possibly. I mean, yeah, possibly. <laughs> we don't know. We will find out. In terms of the passing game, 
we're pretty similar. Like when you take into account like our, like our macro biases, like you're a little higher on the Metcalf lock and combined target share, but nothing outrageous. We have them at a pretty similar ratio. Metcalf for me for a while was a super easy fade when he was going like wide receiver 16. I did just check this morning. He's starting to fall more towards wide receiver like underdog, latest underdog ADP was wide receiver 25, which we have him ranked slightly behind. But like when it starts to get that low, yeah. I'm definitely, you know, it's the, it's starting to pique my interest. He's one of the guys that had an interesting yards per outrun breakdown last year. I think people are concerned that he loses efficiency without Russ, right? But he already lost it last year with Russ getting hurt and then Russ coming back and not really being himself. Um, but his yards per out run stayed pretty close because he gained about just over five percentage points in targets per out run. So he was at 18.2% as a rookie, 19.7% as a second-year player. Those are pretty solid numbers at his ADOT downfield targets. They're not great, but they're solid. And especially because he was very efficient those first two years after earning the target, yards per target, stuff like that. Last year, he jumps all the way to 24.8% targets per route run. It's a really strong volume at his dot, But then his yards per target cratered. So I do think the market's a little bit overreacting to like, oh, he's got this new situation. His quarterback's going to suck now. And I'm looking at it and I'm going, he actually showed some real target earning potential last year and kind of already was pretty low in terms of yards per target when you talk about how deep his dot is. I think if he can earn targets per route at close to 24, 25% again, I mean, there's actually more upside than last year. I mean, he's got his TD rate has to regress. That's the other element always of the equation. Mm-hmm. And he touchdowns last year. That's probably going to come down on a bad team, but there's room, I think for his yardage to actually be a little bit better than last year, which is weird because now Russell Wilson's gone, but he did have sort of that down yards per target year compared to his and first I'm- two years. Yeah, I'm looking. We do have a slight discrepancy in that TD number where we both have Lockett at, you know, right around six touchdowns, but I've got Metcalf at 6.3. You've got Metcalf at eight. I'm trying to pull up real quick. Yeah, basically um, just that's the grown-ass man uh, adjustment right there. I just added yeah. a shots. Because <laughs> I'm looking and I'm like, like his both the, our, you know more dynamic algorithm, which takes into account the ADOT and stuff, and just his historical decay stats like don't have him at a great, great touchdown as great of a touchdown rate as you would think. I feel like for years though, I've just been manually boosting his touchdown rate. And then finally with, with the quarterback stuff, I, d- I didn't boost it this year. It's not boosted. I didn't give him the gam bump this year. Yeah, that's probably fair. My, my thing is probably, I mean, it's actually like a sort of real take that like probably less impact on him with a worse quarterback because he, is so physically imposing at the catch point and after the catch and everything like that's yeah something he brings. Yeah. It is interesting though, that the locket splits were a lot more favorable with Gino in terms of target share, at least. Um, Gino was throwing to DK a lot more. No, to Lockett a lot more. Everyone in their head thinks he was throwing to DK a lot more. And he wasn't. I thought I had heard it that way, but then I thought that's because everyone says that everyone says that it's crazy. <laughs> I haven't looked that one up myself. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I'm pretty sure it, it's like, because I had that in my head too. And then someone actually had the stat and it was like 27% Lockett, like 23% Metcalf or something. Someone's going to have to fact check us because yes, we're, <laughs> we're going off the cuff here. It's the such a small sample that you probably don't put a lot of weight in it either way. That's why yeah, I yeah. haven't really given a ton of credence to it. 
The point is at wide receiver 25, I think Metcalf is probably a buy for Ben. For me, he's a little bit more neutral. I do think the gap between Lockett and Metcalf is just like, as every year is a little bit insane. Uh, on FFPC yeah. ADP, there's a 23 spot gap. Our rankings have it as a 16 spot gap. It's difficult because I don't necessarily want to draft Lockett either, but I have been drafting some Lockett just on, I mean, he's been good and he's just so cheap that like, whatever, I've been taking him. Agree with all of that, especially the, uh, I, I don't really have a reason not to draft him, but I, I'm not because I'm just like, whatever. The the Metcalf thing I will say, especially in terms of whether or not he's a buy for me, is that you get past a certain point. He He's still there when you get into that really kind of quiet range at receiver where there's some other veterans that I don't think quite have huge upside. And I, I, I find myself a lot of spots going DK Metcalf has more upside than any other receiver that's left right here that have ADPs around him. He kind of is the last of his group that will, will slide sometimes. So that's probably why he becomes more of a buy for me too, where it's just like, I have a hard time taking, mm -hmm. I don't know exactly who's going right next to him. Is Alan I mean, that Robinson's going ahead of him, right? But yes. I, would, I think yes, I would take Robinson. Metcalf over Robinson. Like, wouldn't you? Like, he's DK Metcalf. And I think I'd take Robinson, but I think it's close-ish. But yeah. also, our our final ranks do have uh, Silva's 150 baked in. And he's higher on – he's quite a bit higher on Robinson relative to Metcalf. So that, that's factoring our ranks a little bit. I think if it was just pure uh, projection side, we'd have those guys closer and – um, it'd be, it'd be a toss up. The one thing we definitely agree on though, uh, this Noah Fant price tag is really stupid right now. Um, yeah. going off in the tight end twenties and he's like legitimately fun and talented yeah. and like almost has to get targets and, and has been playing don't... with drew lock already. And been yeah, yeah. It's, right. So, the only knock against Fant really is pace of play, play calling concerns, yeah. because the rest, as you said, he's he's been playing with shitty quarterback play. You know, he's been playing with Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. Like he's, I know those guys haven't been healthy at the, all the same times at certain points, but it's not that different of a spot what he's been in. And yeah, I'm really big on Fant. You're even higher on Fant. Uh, we're both we're both Fant stands. And then shout out Will Disley for getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> Great way to end the show. <laughs> All right. Check out Ben at bengretch.substack.com. Also can find him on Rotoviz Radio doing Stealing Bananas with Sean Siegel. You can catch my stuff if you subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or the Establish the Run YouTube channel. Subscribing, liking us helps us continue to do free content like this. Goes a long way. And if you're looking for more content, projections, rankings, all that good stuff. If you're playing best ball dynasty, make sure you get an establish the run draft kit. Ben and I will be back. Like I said, we're going to try and pump out basically close to one a day, get the remaining five dis divisions done. We'll probably do the AFC West as our next division, which is going to be a really fun division to talk to. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time.